Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Hear this word. And to the man God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Let the church say, Amen. Life is hard, and then you die. Life is hard, and then you die. Sometimes comes out a little bit different when you're not in church, but this is sometimes a refrain for some of the most cynical people among us. Life is hard and then you die. And it rings so heavy because it's true. And this is not the way it was intended to be. We talked about this last week, that everything was created by the Word of God. As soon as God spoke the words, let there be light, There was light, and it was good. And as he spoke to separate the waters and to create life abundantly on earth, as he created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, as he created all the animals that walk the earth, each time he said, let there be, and it was, and it was good. Until at the very end of things, after he had made man and woman, he looked at everything and he said it was very good. Humanity was made to live in communion with God, in communion with one another, uh, not at odds with our own souls, and in communion with creation. This is what it was supposed to look like, and something happened. And the question we asked last week is, what happens when people, creatures made by the very Word of God, the the very Word of God constitutes our nature, What happens when we act contrary to the Word of God in a world that is made by God's Word? And I propose to you that it creates a pull in the fabric of the universe, that it's like grabbing a string in an otherwise good garment and and pulling on it until it all begins to unravel. You can't just go in and tape it up or glue it. The whole thing begins to pull apart. The whole thing starts unraveling. This is how we get to where we started today, that life is hard, and then you die. And that's not the way it was intended to be. Sometimes in particularly difficult times that people themselves are going through, or if they're talking to someone who's going through a difficult time, they'll say something like, everything happens for a reason. 
And the implication when they say that is that God has made these things happen for a reason. It is true that everything happens for a reason. It's all got a cause going all the way back. But much of the time, the suffering that we have to talk about is not the will of God. The reason that it exists is because of the sin of humanity. First with Adam and Eve and following with all of us afterwards. Uh, Some, when Jesus is teaching, bring to them a son who's born with a birth defect, and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, it's not him or his parents. It's an opportunity for the glory of God to shine through in the midst of brokenness. And sometimes we ask the question in the reverse way, rather than saying everything happens for a reason, we say, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody had that question before? Just me? We look around at people who've lived comparatively good lives, maybe at ourselves, and we see suffering. We look at ourselves and we think, I've done my very best. Why is life so difficult? And it's a question that doesn't just touch on the world as it is, or we ourselves, whether we've been good enough. It goes to the very heart of God. It's a question about the character of God. Bad things happen. We know that bad things happen. We only need to turn on the news to see it. And then that leads us to one of two conclusions, it seems. If bad things happen to good people, either God isn't all good or God isn't all powerful. Because if he was both of those things, he would prevent bad things from happening to good people. Right? So why is it? What's the answer to why bad things happen to good people? And Scripture, as it often does, turns our questions upside down on their heads. It teaches us that we're looking at everything backwards. God has made the world good, even very good. And humanity, listening to the voice of the serpent instead of to the voice of the Lord, has pulled at the thread at the center of the fabric of the universe. And what was deeply good is now being unraveled. And this isn't just an act of, of, of the world coming apart. It also reorients the world in really difficult ways. I gave the example last week of a nuclear power plant, something that's intended to do good, but when it goes awry, it's not just that you don't have power anymore. It becomes actively destructive to the things and the life around it. Bad things happen because there are no good people is one way to say it. Each one of us have followed after Adam and Eve into our own sin, deciding that we, like them, know better than God does what is good for us. Worshiping, pursuing, chasing after things other than God, thinking that they can satisfy us, thinking that we can be more complete, more whole if we have those things, and neglecting the Lord who made us and knows us and knows just what we need. And we do harm to one another, lying and stealing and cheating and envying and objectifying and marginalizing one another, and on and on it goes. Treating one another as less than those who are made in the image of God, made to bear the image of God to one another, we see one another as less than that. We're selfish, we're mean, 
We're inclined to anger and lust. We're lazy, prideful, greedy. We eat too much or we obsess too much about our body image to the point that we don't see our bodies as the gifts that God made for us to interact with the world. Each one of us, every one of us, falls short of the glory of God. There are no good people. And when someone comes to Jesus and asks how he can do good, Jesus' response is, there's only one who does good. God is the only one who does good. The rest of us, we're sinners, inclined to evil and that continually apart from the grace of God. Life is hard, then you die. And that's not the way it was intended to be, but it is the way it is. It is the result of human sinfulness which touches each of us as we rebel against the word of God that spoke us into being. And this is no surprise to Scripture. It's no surprise because Genesis, the first book of the Bible, as soon as God creates the world good, humanity leads it astray. We fall short. And the effects are tremendous. And the one that we're going to talk about today is how our sin affects our relationship with creation itself, with the earth, the soil of the earth, becomes not something that produces fruit that gives us life abundantly with no need to take care of it, but it becomes something that seems to work against us. We read the part of the curse that God speaks to Adam about how he will make bread for himself by the sweat of his brow, how the earth will produce fruit for him, but only after he's done backbreaking work, fighting the thorns and thistles that crop up when he wants to grow good crops. And if we read a little bit further along to uh, verse 23, it says that God sent Adam forth to till the ground from which he was taken. When Adam is sent forth from the garden, he's sent to work, to till the ground from which he was taken and to which he will one day return. The ground was made to produce good fruit naturally of its own accord without the backbreaking work of Adam. There was going to be work to do. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the whole garden and all of creation. That was to be the work of men and women. And it was going to be delightful work, meaningful work, work as devotion unto the Lord. And now work has become something else. Amen? Because our relationship with creation itself has been pulled apart. It's been pulled apart by our sin. We are made from the earth. We're made to live in harmony with the earth. But now now the earth is going to work against us. The ground itself is cursed because of our sin, and toil will eat of the fruit of the ground. We're going to try to grow good crops, soybeans and corn and tomatoes, cotton. We're going to end up with weeds and with insects that eat our fruit, and not just any weeds, but the kind of weeds that if you try to pull them without gloves are going to hurt and pierce your skin and draw blood and pain. Thorns and thistles instead of the fruit that you want to eat. By our sweat and our toil, we'll eat. 
until we return to the ground that we're taken out of. Do you hear it now? By your sweat and by your toil, you will eat until you return to the dust that you're taken from. Life is hard, and then you die. We'll do this until the breath that God breathed into our lungs and gave us life is gone, and the land that we're supposed to rule over covers us. Everything is upside down when those that are supposed to subdue the earth are covered by it. God separated us out of the ground and made us human by breathing his life into our nostrils, and our sin has introduced death and harmful, painful work into the world. The day we ate of the fruit of that tree, we did not die right away, but our death began. And this is where we are, laboring against the earth and the earth laboring against us as if we are at war with one another, at war with the ground and with our bodies that make us material parts of this world. We're horrified of suffering and death, and yet it seems to be lurking around every corner. You don't have to look far for all kinds of bodily ailments, those that are contagious like the coronavirus or the flu or the cold or whatever else. Bacteria, which are living things, and viruses, which are nearly living things, depending on which scientist you talk to, that maintain their life by harming the lives of others. How much more distorted can it get? So many unexplained things like so many types of cancer, the deterioration of our bodies over time as we experience hearing loss or back problems or vision loss or the loss of mobility through arthritis or weakening bones or weakening muscles. The struggle to produce enough by working to survive and ultimately our bodies succumb to the war that we've been fighting. And so many of our illnesses not only cause bodily suffering, but they cause us spiritual suffering. They rob us of our independence. They take away our dignity. They leave us feeling like a shell of our former selves, not any longer entirely human. It's not true because it's not our strength that makes us human, but it is how we feel. And it's not just our bodies, but the whole world that's in decay. Anybody had to repair a roof recently or repaint? Fix a car that's breaking down? House and car repairs, repainting, rebuilding. There's the slow decay that constantly exists around us, that we're constantly having to maintain things. And then there's rapid destruction. Natural disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. In slow ways and in disorientingly fast ways, the world seems to be always declining. And we are working against it as hard as we can to maintain stability and vitality in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Nothing that we get new is ever as good as the day we got it. It gets scratched and dinged and bumped and bruised and rusted and everything else. Everything is decaying, moving towards death, and we are constantly working against creation. Life is hard and then you die because sin and death have been bound together from the very beginning. 
when we sin, death enters the world, and it is difficult, if not impossible, to undo. And if that's all we've got to work with, we should be constantly filled with anxiety and fear. There are two basic responses through history to this reality, the reality that we're going to die. One is to say, who cares? Let's enjoy it as much as possible. The ancient Greeks called this Epicureanism. Millennials call it YOLO. You only live once. You're going to die, so you might as well enjoy what you've got to live. That's one way. Live it up. And the other is to detach as much as possible so any loss doesn't bother you. The ancient Greeks called this Stoicism. Modern religion calls it Buddhism. But the basic principle is that you just don't get to attach to things or people. The more you detach from everything else, the more you can avoid any kind of pain. If you expect it all to deteriorate and die, you won't be disappointed when it happens. And neither of these things allow for love. Love is really hard in a world where things deteriorate and where people die. To love is to be vulnerable to deep loss and disappointment, to be exposed to great pain. So if that's all there is to it, deterioration and death, if life is hard and then you die and that's all there is to it, we should do one of these two things. We should maximize our enjoyment or we should minimize our pain. But praise God that he doesn't leave us alone in a world that is hard right up to the point that it kills us. Praise God that despite our sin, he doesn't take away everything that continues to be good and very good about the world he has made. It wasn't a lie when we sang this morning for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies. The world still contains beauty and goodness despite the way it's been unraveled by our sin. It turns out that in Jesus, in Jesus, our suffering becomes more than just painful. It becomes something that God can shine his glory through. It becomes something that can actually be beneficial. Deterioration and death become not only a part of the curse, but a part of the gift that directs us towards the God who has always loved us, who has always made us for good things, who has always wanted good things for the people that he's made in his image. And I don't want you just to take my word for this. I want you to hear Paul's words to the church at Rome. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 of chapter 5, and I'm going to skip down to verses 18 and 19. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were sinners, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one to come. I'm going to skip down to 18. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you hear what he said? That we boast not only in Christ but in our sufferings. Because suffering leads to endurance. And endurance over time produces character. And character produces hope, hope that will not disappoint us because it is located in the resurrected Jesus Christ who has conquered both sin and death. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. One man's sin has put us on a track for destruction because all of us have participated in that sin. And now in Jesus Christ, one man's righteousness has put us on a path for redemption and reconciliation. We have been reconciled by the death of the Son of God who did not deserve death, but took it on himself. We will be saved from our death by his life. We will be saved from our death by his life life. So yes, it is true that life is hard and then we die. But more than that, more enduring than that, is the truth that Christ has died for us sinners when we did not deserve it, when we were still enemies of God, and his suffering has led to life in a way that lets us follow in his steps. So that our suffering Our war with creation produces endurance that produces character, that produces hope, and our hope in Jesus will not disappoint us. Life is short and we will die, but our hope will not be disappointed if we follow the one who has conquered sin and death. We no longer have to be at war with God or with one another or with ourselves, or with creation itself, because Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you know the sufferings of the world as well as anyone. You know its injustices. You know the power of temptation. You know the pain that comes from being tortured, by those who should praise you. You know the pain and suffering of death 
and feeling forsaken by God. And yet you make a new way for us. A way that leads us from suffering to hope. A way that makes us more like you. A way that gives this life meaning and makes it possible for us to love. Because you have first loved us. And you've given yourself up for us. And you invite us by your power to do the same for others. I pray that you would give us the strength. That you would fill us with hope that overwhelms all of our fears. We pray, Lord, that we could serve you with every ounce of our being and every bit of life that we have. This we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. After hearing about the curse, we're going to sing about God's faithfulness. I invite you to stand and sing with me hymn number one.